Where the twilight meets the darkness, you will find us. Where imagination meets reality, we will be there. When the road vanishes into the night, we will guide you. Come with us on a journey into the unknown. Ride along with us as we open the box. Walk the path to enlightenment and face your greatest fears with us. Together, you are listening to the R&D Project. Hey, 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 Project listeners. This is the R&D Project, back for episode two. With you, as always, is me, Donnie Sturgis, hailing from Virginia, getting ready for Dorian to, to hit uh, hit the East Coast up here, which may or may not happen, depending. Um, I don't know. Um, but uh, And with me, as always, is my hetero life mate. Rob Nicholson up in New Jersey, where we don't have to worry about Dorian because, well, we just don't have to. So Because it's Jersey. Jersey's yes. got enough problems of its own. Hey, we love Jersey. <laughs> Jersey is fun. Jersey is a great place to live. Everybody that's listening, Jersey is not nearly as bad as people make it out to no. be sometimes. I uh, know. I'm just going with the stereotype because it's yes. it's just it's low hanging fruit. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I mean, hey, even if Dorian doesn't hit us uh, hard, I still get tomorrow off. So. You know, I can't complain about that. And, uh, you know, I'd like to thank all the taxpayers out there for paying for my salary because I still get paid. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> Donnie Sturgis out of Virginia, funded by taxpayers. <laughs> yeah, just don't just don't hand out my address. I don't want a bunch of angry people outside my door, please. <laughs> Give us our money back. I don't have it, man. I don't have it. The taxes, they took them out. Anyway, so. Tonight, uh, like I said, it's our second episode. Um, we are uh, promising you that we're still going to be doing the history of horror, but it's going to be coming a little bit later uh, in case you were expecting it tonight. Um, but tonight we are going to be looking at He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, one of my favorite properties growing up uh, as, a, as, as, a, as a wee lad. Um, but we're going to be looking at it through the horror lens. So we're going to be, you know, basically looking at it as, 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 uh, you know, the horror elements that have been involved in, and trust me, there's, there's, there's some horror stuff in there. It wasn't all just science and sorcery and adventure. Uh, there actually is a little bit of horror that can be found in, in uh, all aspects of the, of the, of the property. So we're going to be talking about that tonight and probably be veering off here and there to some other degrees, you know, that, that's what we usually do. So, ah, uh, that's, uh, <clears throat> That's our plan. So, Ralph, if you have any, if you have anything else, Rob? If not, we can kick it off. Well, I mean, the horror element number one um, is something that I, I can't wait to see your take on it. But let's let's face facts. Number one, first and foremost, it had a goddamn skeleton. Sure, there was a skeleton. It's one of the it's it's one of the most popular villains in pop culture. I mean, he's still popping up even today. You're seeing him in commercials. Um, like they did, they did car commercials with him, uh, just a couple of years ago around Christmas time. I mean, that visage, the, just this, the, the, the skull, you know, just coming out from under that hood. I mean, that's kind of terrifying on its own. It's really impressive that they were able to get away with a design like that, you know, for a kid's cartoon and a toy line. I had that Skeletor action figure and I used to scare the crap out of my stepbrothers with it. <laughs> I, I'm not ashamed to say that. Um, between them and uh, between him and Megatron, who nice. back in the day was a Walther pistol. Um, yeah. So I had a lot of fun. A lot of fun. 
and and not just Skeletor either. I mean, because like um, there there's definitely some horror themes that were that are spread out throughout the entire toy line. Castle Grayskull is another big one. Um, if you look at uh, all the promo materials for the animated series and for the toy line, you have the the, the big you know green greenish gray uh, you know scary looking castle with the with the with the skull visage on it. You know, and of course, it had all these like deep, dark secrets that were involved, and and uh, and if you go inside, you know, if, if you if you look inside the toy itself, you know, there was a pit that had tentacles and stuff coming out of it, and all sorts of you know crazy horror like uh, elements to it. So I mean, even that, like a, a lot of a lot of that imagery evokes a, 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 like a horror, um, uh, a, a horror source, you know, or a horror origin to it. And in the animated series, anytime. Castle Grayskull came on, lightning, always lightning, lightning, oh. lightning, lightning. Absolutely. Like you had like in the, the sky behind it was always dark and, and, and there was like reds and, and dark blues and grays and clouds and stuff. Uh, and it's, it was a formidable fortress. Um, even more so in the, in the mini comics that came with the figures, um, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Um, but then of course, and then on, on top of that, and it's the funny thing because it, this was the good guy. Well, in the mini comics, it wasn't uh, kind of, but in the animated series, this was this is where the good guys hung out, and yet this thing towered into the into the dark sky and just looked menacing. And uh, and you know, as a kid, you know, especially as a, as a boy growing up, you know, um, you're looking at this and it's just it just appeals to that, that darker nature. You're like, oh my goodness, like look at the darkness. So I mean. It was it, it was it was really uh, really effective uh, in in the way that it utilized you know the, the darker elements uh, that you would normally find in a children's cartoon. Um, but then on the other side, you had Snake Mountain, which again, very very dark looking, very like definitely had a had a lot of uh, horror elements being uh, introduced into it. You know, you had the the, the giant spiral snake coiling up around the mountain with the big snake head coming out with the with the with the with the red red waterfall coming out of the mouth like what the hell is like why why is there red is that is that blood I don't, I don't know um and you had the you know everything inside either fortress you know was was dark and dreary and 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 you know you almost would think like there's something spooky around every corner um and on top of that, even the like even the toy line for uh, for Snake Mountain, same thing. It had this big like monstrous face because uh, it wasn't designed exactly like the toy or like the animated series uh, Snake Mountain, but it had this big giant monstrous face, and it had a microphone that gave you a scary voice when you talked into it. So you would go in there, and it would give it would do this reverb echo thing that would make you sound like a demon or sound like some scary spookiness or something like that. So I mean, even from the very beginning, and and we'll, we'll I'll even go so far as um, we'll tie it into the fact that you know Mattel, you know, wanting to license Conan back in the seventies, um, you know, the 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 origins were already in place there because um, you had. Uh, Basically, you know, they're, they're Universal and, and uh, was gearing up to, to do a Conan film. And uh, they wanted to, you know, produce toys. They got together with Mattel. There were some licensing uh, talks going on. Um, although I did find out, because um, originally I, I uh, was under the impression that uh, He-Man was derivative of Conan. But apparently, um, that's a misnomer. They were already working on the He-Man and Masters of the Universe 
um, uh, toy line before they even had captured the Conan license. And so the Conan license ended up falling through, but they already were had the uh, early stages of He-Man and Master Universe going into development. Um, and of course, that was uh, it was more derivative of the of the animated series that they had done previous to He-Man and Master Universe called Black Star, which was very Conan-like. Um, but uh, but yeah, the the Conan deal fell through. The Masters Universe property was already in development before Conan the movie came out. So when Conan did the uh, um, did the lawsuit against them, saying that He-Man was too derivative, they they lost because it was, they could prove that He-Man had already been developed it prior to that movie coming out. So it worked out. Ray Wagner, who was the CEO of Mattel, um, declined the opportunity. Declined, declined the opportunity because of a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars licensing fee to do a deal with George Lucas in Star Wars. Yep, and. They were about to produce the action figures for Star Wars. Yep. And we all know that they went to Kenner. And how different would this all have turned out? There might not have been. There might not have been a He-Man action figure line or any of that stuff without somehow George Lucas affecting everything in this planet. Damn you, George! (laughs) But, I mean, it's true, though. Because, I mean, uh, the whole reason why Mattel... Uh, did the Master Universe line was because they were like, oh shit, we fucked up by denying, you know, by turning down the Ken- the, the Star Wars license. Now we need something to compete with the, with with because Star Wars when those figures came out, they were tearing up the the toy aisles, man. They were they were popular as hell. They redefined how how uh, how toys were sold and produced. You know, everybody at that point was like, because originally before that you had the Mego stuff, which was like the the six inch. Uh, or actually, no, like the 12-inch dolls, and you had G.I. Joe, which was the 12-inch dolls, and all of a sudden, like, Kenner comes along and goes, oh, hey, we're going to make these three and three-quarter-inch figures, and all of a sudden they're a hit, and everybody's like, oh, shit, we all need to scale down, because that's where everybody wants to go, and then you can do play sets and vehicles at a cheaper price point. And, of course, Mattel, being Mattel, they were like, well, we're not going to do three and three-quarter figures. We're going to do five-and-a-half-inch figures. Yeah, five-and-a-half-inch figures which is what the He-Man figures ended up being, which still works. There's still plenty of play sets and vehicles that you could get for them. But I, I will say, as a, I was a huge action figure fan back in the day. Same and here. Most of, that, most of it was based on, obviously, what I was seeing and consuming every day in TV mm-hmm. world. Right. Um, and I was a huge G.I. Joe fan before I was anything else. Um, I had, I mean, every time every weekend that I went to go see my grandfather, I was going out and we were buying another GI Joe figure. And um, I remember that no matter how big Skeletor was and no matter how big He-Man was, and I did have Castle Grayskull um, and I had Skeletor, I had He-Man, I had Cringer. um, But no matter what GI Joe always kicked the crap out of all of them. (laughs) Always. And and I also had Ewok Village. And I will tell you what, Skeletor and G.I. Joe raining down upon Ewok Village is still one of my all-time favorite mashups. <laughs> nice. I did something similar. I, I actually didn't have a lot of the He-Man action figures growing up. Um, I had a few. Because um, I was so busy collecting Star Wars at that point. Because Star Wars figures uh, were pretty much... Uh, 
running running the toy aisles uh, until about 85, 86, uh, when they finally, um, because the movie stopped coming out, and so they didn't have anything to, to, to basically, um, uh, they didn't have any product, to, uh, licensing stuff to put out anymore. So, because um, the movies were, were pretty much done. So I actually didn't start branching out. And, you know, coming from a, a low-income family, every every Christmas for me was a Star Wars Christmas until there was no more Star Wars. And then it was like, okay, then I started to do He-Man. Um, and then I started to do, you know, branching off to G.I. Joe and Transformers and, and Mask and all these other toy lines. But for, for the longest time, up until the point where I was like eight, eight or nine, it, it was mainly Star Wars for me. Um, so I didn't really have as many of the He-Man figures. Because by the time I started collecting He-Man, He-Man was already starting was already starting to go on its way out. Um, She-Ra had just come out. Uh, it was doing well, but then it, it, you know they had a snafu with the with the uh, with the motion picture, which we'll get to here in a little bit as well. Um, and so I, I kind of didn't get I didn't. Uh, but the nice thing was is I had friends that I you know grew up with who had all that stuff. So. Um, you know, my, my, my best friend Eric had all the He-Man stuff. He had Castle Skull. He had also, you know, of course, I'd do what you did. I would, I'd do the mashups, and even though, I, but I'd do Star Wars. And even though, again, yeah, the Star Wars figures are, are way tiny in comparison to the He-Man figures, you know, I always thought it was like, yeah, Luke Skywalker could hold his own against Skeletor. Holy shit, yeah, he's a Jedi, man. Come on. So I'd, I'd do the same thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the... The nice thing about the um, the He-Man toy line, getting back to the to the horror aspect of it, um, is you know there's a, again there, uh, the toy line itself had uh, if you just look at uh, even the toys themselves like I'm I'm actually looking right now at Rotor, which is a vehicle that was for that, that they did for Skeletor, where basically it had like blades that spun as you the face on that thing. There is a lot of scariness. Uh, even looking at the characters, Beast Man, Trap Jaw, Merman. I mean, these are all characters that either like you can tell that that they're they're adopting a lot of their designs from from like either Universal Monsters or other things. I mean, Merman alone, the original concept for Merman was supposed to be more along the lines of the Gill Man from Creature from the Black Lagoon. They changed it later on, but um, so I mean, the, even from the from the very beginning, the toy line had a lot of of horror elements. Uh, uh, in it as well as sci-fi and fantasy, like it was, it was a nice uh, amalgamation of all these different genres, uh, and, and and which is, I think kind of sets He-Man and the Master Universe apart. And one of the reasons why I like it so much is because it appeals to so many different genres that I loved as a kid, uh, more so than any other toy line or any other animated series uh, up to up to that point. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Skeletor vehicle now, and I actually number one I did not know about that, and um, <laughs> it's pretty freaking wicked. It is. Um, it, it looks like something Ash from Evil Dead would ride on, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, yeah. Like an Army of Darkness when he's taking out yes. the Deadites. Yeah. Hey, baby. Absolutely. And that definitely I, Ash vehicle. Oh yeah, and like even even like it's so weird because like. A lot of their vehicles had like, like beastly kind of looks to them. Um, the, even even the even the heroic vehicles, like sometimes would have like a dragon head or or a, or a reptilian head on the on the on the front of it or whatever. It's so it's so interesting that their design choices for their vehicles, um, and you know, and, and that even carried over into uh, in, into the Shira line as well, or not the Shira line, but the 
the evil horde, because evil horde was still He-Man, um, was still part of the He-Man line, even though they were the villains for She-Ra. Um, but another interesting thing about, um, another interesting horror connection, um, is that there were, uh, several, um, well, about three, really, uh, artists and writers, uh, who were doing Savage Sword of Conan for Marvel Comics at the time. They had been brought over and were hired to do writing and designs for He-Man and the Master Universe, the animated series, which was very interesting because, um, you know, again, Conan very rich in horror, uh, as well as, as, as sword and sword, as being a sword and sorcery tale. You know, you have your, you have your ancient gods, you have, you know, you have your, your horrific monsters. So you already have, um, a property that's being, um, borrowed from that's very heavy in these themes. And so it's really kind of cool to see those carry over, especially when you're involving writers and artists from the source property. Um, <clears throat> so, but yeah, and then the, so the next thing that, you know, as far as the horror connection goes is you have, you know, actually obviously the figures, we've been talking about the toys already. We've been talking about, um, you know, basically everything that's been incorporated into the toy line. And I have, I'm still a huge collector of the masters line. Now I, um, Mattel, uh, and now super seven, they took over the license, um, worked with a, a company called the four horsemen. Um, and they did these really amazing sculpts where they kind of updated the figures, made them six inches, made them like fully articulated. I collect the line avidly. I have almost every figure in the line and I'm looking at them now and I'm looking just at, you know, somehow some of the characters just, just live and breathe, um, you know, kind of a, a horror kind of tone. Um, uh, and so, but even back then, like there was, there was a lot, uh, a lot of that. Again, uh, you had like Manny faces where one of his, uh, one of his faces was a monster, like a green, like monster with like, like big sharp pointed teeth. The eighties probably had one of the best, um, toy line, uh, just was the best time for toy lines. Uh, a lot of great inventive stuff, movies, TV shows, cartoons, you know, everybody you know, doing their best to try to circumvent the, uh, the new regulation that basically said your, your cartoon couldn't be a toy commercial unless it did this, this, and this, um, you know, it had to have, it had to be kind of like edutainment. It had to have like a PSA at the end or whatever. And other, cause, cause you know, they didn't, they were like, well, this isn't fair. You can't use it as a commercial sell toys. And yet everybody got around it, you know, somehow. Um, but, um, yeah, the eighties was just a great, was just a great time, uh, for toy lines. You had a lot of great ones. Um, and, uh, oh, what I was going to say was, um, so another, another, another figure that comes to mind, uh, is, and this one would actually, there's a lot of great figures in the toy, in the He-Man and Masters toy line. It really, really is. Like I said, you got Trapjaw. The Trapjaw is kind of a creepy one on its own because basically this is a guy who has no bottom jaw. Something bad happened to it that it has basically been completely removed. And now he has a metallic jaw in its place. Think about that concept for a second, uh, listeners. Think about that concept. All right. Kids cartoon, kids toy line, guy with his jaw completely gone, now has a metal jaw in its place. You know, that's something you don't really, you don't really think about the details of it when you're playing with it as a kid. You just think it's kind of cool looking. It looks neat. But if you really, really dig deep and think about it, you're like, holy shit, like this, there's, there's some creepy shit going on with these characters. Beast man, like a big, like, like, uh, wolf man kind of, kind of dude, you know, basically big, muscular, scary looking, looks like he ripped your face off with his teeth. 
Uh, and like I said, Merman with the with the whole uh, creature from the Black Lagoon kind of look going on. Um, and then there's one came later on in the line. His name was Scareglow. And Scareglow is uh, stands out for a couple of reasons. One, his description is he is the evil ghost of Skeletor. To this day, I don't think anybody knows what the hell that means. But when you look at the back of the package, there is this this skeleton figure and you're like oh so is this like the skeletor die like are you implying that skeletor is dead and his ghost is still around or or is he or do you mean that he is a ghost that skeletor commands like either way like ghost it's horror uh and the great thing about that figure was it glowed in the dark and what kid didn't fucking love a toy that glowed in the fucking dark oh yeah that was one of the best gimmicks in in toy lines in the 80s was glowing in the dark and everybody, well, glowing in the dark. There were there were there were three. There was glowing in the dark. There was the vacuum formed metallic, like the C three PO, where it actually was shiny. Where they did they 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 did, they did this vacuum press thing where they made it look metallic, but it was plastic. And then there was the translucent figures. Those were like the big gimmicks that everybody loved. That and I'm not talking about like I'm not talking I'm talking outside of like you know, the special gimmicks that people would use, like holograms and stuff like that. But those were like the like the, the, the cheapest, easiest gimmicks that people could do. Well, th- there was the smell stuff too, but that kind of that kind of went either way because you had Moss Man, which smelled basically p- like Pine Fresh, and then you had Stinkor, which basically smelled like patchouli oil, and everybody hated that figure because it stunk <laughs> the house up bad. You, as soon as you opened it out of the package, your entire house smelled like patchouli oil, and you couldn't fucking get it out of the goddamn house for years. I, I, I guarantee you right now, there are houses in America right now that still smell like patchouli oil from those goddamn stink wars. <laughs> new, new, new residents have moved in. They're like, why does it smell like somebody smoking weed in here, man? Like, what's, what's, what's going on? Oh, well, we, we had a stink war in the 80s. Oh, oh, well, I don't want to buy this house anymore. I'm out. This, this is worse than being haunted. Shit. Now, I I will say something here. So with all the, the, the horror elements, which are concentrated, you know, obviously around the bad guys, um, you know who wasn't scary? Who? Tila. Oh, my God. I had a huge crush on Tila. I did, too. Tila was not scary at all. No. And even the, even the sorceress in the, in the animated series, I mean, come on. <laughs> the sorceress, the sorceress was was gorgeous, but she was very interesting to me because basically she couldn't leave the castle unless she turned into the bird Zor, which is really weird to me. And so, and of course, there was a whole there was a whole um, backstory that they never got into in the in the original animated series. They got into it actually in the tw- in the two thousand uh, series later on. Um, where basically the sorceress, I think they, they touched upon it in an episode, but never followed through. But the sorceress was Tila's real mother. And that Tila was actually more important to Castle Grayskull than He-Man was, because she was eventually supposed to take over the mantle of sorceress. Um, and so, and, and I, don't, I don't think, I can't remember if Man-at-Arms actually is her true father or not, because that, man, that means that, Man at Arms and Sorceress got on, which good for that guy. Come on, shit. Here's a bit of trivia. What was Man at Arms' real name? Oh, I know that one. Duncan. Very good. It was Duncan. <laughs> There's elements to the Sorceress, too, that were, I wouldn't say they were creepy so much, but there was definitely, um, 
the way she did certain things, like I said, turning into a bird when she had to leave the castle, the way she defended Castle Grayskull sometimes, there was definitely something ethereal about her that, that wasn't wasn't scary so much. I wouldn't really say unsettling, but there was definitely something off. It was definitely off kilter about her as, as opposed to everybody else. You could make the comparison to the princess in the never ending story as being a young version of the sorceress. Oh shit. Yeah. Star- uh, Moonchild. Yeah. Yes. Unnamed sor- unnamed princess, which in the books, her, it's funny because um, I, I, I found this out a couple years ago. So if you read the book for the never ending story, um, they actually say what her, well, and to be fair, he actually does say her name in the movie. It's just, it's so unintelligible that nobody knows what it is. Even if you, I think even if you like watch it on Blu-ray or watch it on TV and put the, um, closed captioning on, uh, it'll say unintelligible screaming or something. But in the book, uh, he names her, he names the child like Empress after his mother and his mother was a hippie. Uh, and her name, and, and she went by the name of Moonchild, which, because there was like this whole backstory about how, uh, you know, because like Bastion, this, that's why the kid kind of was like in these two different worlds. Like his dad was very much feet on the ground, very much kind of reality grounded, you know, and everything. But his mother was more of the flighty, ethereal, like head in the clouds kind of person. And that's where he got a lot of his, um, a, a, a lot of his personality traits from. Um, and of course, when she passed away, the dad was like, you can't be doing it. Like he was like, he was trying to stamp that out for a number of reasons. One, because it was painful because he reminded her too much or reminded him too much of his, of his wife. But, um, but yeah, so it's like in it's the, the childlike Empress's new name is moon child. Uh, f- uh, for those who, who didn't know, um, if you, if you watch it, if you watch the never ending story, uh, now, with that in mind, you can kind of actually hear him say it, even though it's, like I said, the way he screams it, it's really hard to tell, but you can kind of, kind of hear it, um, hear him scream Moonchild, if you already have that in your head, that that's what he's saying. And and fans, I, I, I really, because I'm a huge never ending, never ending Story fan. You and me both, pal. <laughs> You guys, you guys can shoot me later. We're we're gonna end up doing a retrospective on that on that movie Hell at yeah. some point. Um, but please kill me for calling her the princess. I I know she's the childlike empress. <laughs> I just could not get the word out of my head. So I apologize. It's late, and yeah. <laughs> nah, I've 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 been there before. You, it's it's. You're you're using a, a, a like a like a like a generalized term because you know like there's a specific name for it. It's like yeah, the because they're always princesses, even even when they're not, uh, you know, specifically named the princess or whatever. So I mean, and that, that was that was a common theme in the '80s anyway. Every every, every girl in a in a fantasy flick was a princess. So it's it's all good. I don't I don't. I mean, I'm not going to give out your address, so I, I think you'll be fine. I, I don't think you'll. I don't think you'll wake up to torches and pitchforks. Do not email me hate mail, people. I know <laughs> she's the empress, and it actually has has nothing to do with this episode except for the fact that I could picture the sorceress from He Man when she was younger being the childlike empress. I can totally see that. Um, which, yeah, I can, I can definitely. That's a, that's a really good call. I'd never thought about, I never put that together before. But yeah, I can totally see they definitely are very, very similar. Um, that would be an interesting headcanon to put together. Um, Bastion created <laughs> with his imagination and that's made He-Man real. 
That's um, right, to beat up all the bullies. Yeah, exactly. Um, so another thing that the that I that I wanted to get into uh, besides the toy line itself is, and I'm not really going to touch upon this too much because I don't I don't really have any of the mini comics on hand. Um, I uh, I went to this really great website. It's it's a website that I've been going to for years called HeMan.org uh, when I was doing my research. And there's an editorial, and I, I didn't see who it was credited to. There's no – I would like to credit the person that wrote the editorial, uh, but unfortunately their name isn't listed. Um, it's just says editorial, um, but I wanted to at least credit uh, He-Man.org for this because this, this is basically where I got some of my information from uh, in my research for this, for this episode. Um, <clears throat> but they did mention that there was definitely some – because the – the the toy line came out first. The toy line came out before the animated series. I'll, I'll, well, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit and give you guys a little bit of history. A lot of you probably are might already know the history of this, either from watching um, um, uh, the um, the the toy documentary on uh, on Netflix. Um, they did an, a Masters of the episode. Um, there's also a uh, I'll, I'll put this out now. There's also a really great book that I have. It's amazing, very thorough, written by a, a friend of mine, James E. Talk from Britain. Uh, also uh, put out by Dark Horse Books called He Man and Shira: Complete Guide to the Classic Animated Adventures. Uh, a lot of my reference material for tonight is coming from this book. Um, but also I said, heman.org. I, I've been, I've been going to this website for, for over a decade. It's great. Got a lot of great material. They do a lot of great announcements for new toys and stuff that are coming out. Um, but one of the things they mentioned, they mentioned that, uh, for some, for some of you, like, like I said, the toy line came out first, came out. And I think like, um, I think it was like 1981, I think is when it came out initially. Um, and uh, so the toy line came out first. It wasn't like other uh, other uh, uh, toy lines where the animated series came out first, the toy line came out after or came out at the same time to tie in. Originally, uh, Mattel had the toy line. They're like, we're going to put this toy line out, and they're like, well, we don't have anything to market with it. We need we need something that'll sell. We need something that'll that'll we we need to build a universe because kids aren't going to know what these toys are about or whatever. So the whole idea was let's do mini comics, and so the original. Uh, the, the first wave, the first couple of waves of He-Man figures came with, you know, came with mini comics that told the story of He-Man. And the story is very drastically different to what, uh, to what's in the animated series. There was no Prince Adam. Uh, instead of, uh, there were two power swords. There was one for He-Man and Skeletor and, and He-Man each had one. Um, each one was trying to get the others because if you combine the two, that basically turned it into one ma- like super power sword that would get you into Castle Grayskull. Because uh, at that point, I think Castle Grayskull wasn't actually uh, belonging to the good guys or the bad guys. It was just, it was, if you unlock the secrets of Castle Grayskull, you became a master of the universe. Um, and that was the whole point. That was the whole drive for the, for the, for the property. Um, but the mini comics were very interesting because they were a lot darker in tone. Uh, they were a lot more, uh, they were a little bit more violent. Uh, they weren't as kid friendly, but I mean, at the time they got away with a lot and there's definitely a lot of horror, uh, elements that were in the, uh, in the mini comics, uh, demon summoning, human sacrifice. Um, there was, uh, according to He-Man.org, there was, a there was a mini comic called Menace of Many Faces, which dealt with demon summoning and human sacrifice. Um, yeah, really, really dark stuff, man. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it basically says, um, um, apparently Tila was taken by Skeletor and Manyfaces, because at this point I think Manyfaces was evil. 
And Skeletor and Manny Faces take Tila to sacrifice her to a demon. That will that basically sacrificing her to the demon would help Skeletor capture Castle Grayskull. Um, really dark stuff. Um, and then um, an- another one that they that they noted is uh, there was an origin story for Tila that is not canon. That was definitely uh, contradicts anything else that that has come since. Um, but basically, it was uh, it, it was called the Tale of Tila, and basically it made Skeletor into kind of like a mad scientist. Uh, who cloned Tila, um, basically to, you know, in, in kind of a Frankenstein kind of like, uh, manner. Um, so I mean, at this point, like, even before the animated series even started, the toy line, the mini comics are already, uh, not only invoking sword and sorcery and, 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 and fantasticness and, um, uh, you know, fantasy elements and sci-fi elements and stuff like that. But they're incorporating, like, they're going, like, full-blown horror with this stuff. They're, they're you know, they're, their characters are, 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 you know, have horror uh, tones to them. Their mini-comics do, um, which is really interesting. I, I wish I still had all my mini-comics, because um, I remember they were, they were amazing. Like, the artwork for them were, were, were just incredible. Uh, definitely different looks for all the characters than you would see in the animated series later on. Skeletor, you want to, you think Skeletor looks ghastly and, and horrific now in the, in the animated series. He looks so much more horrifying in the mini comics. Like he had glowing eyes, like, like, like instead of just, instead of just blackness, there was like this eerie glow, like, like somewhere in the back of the, the eye sockets, you know, it's almost like, Oh my God, where's that? And where's that emanating from? Like what is going, you have glow sticks in the back of your skull. Like what the fuck? Um, <laughs> But it was there was there's a lot of there there's definitely um, a lot of horror elements already ingrained and again I think I think the the Conan uh, connection had a lot to do with it because I think there even though you know they won the lawsuit and even though you know you know they had already been managing the property or, or, or you know building the property up while they were in talks to do the Conan line uh, you can all, you can tell especially with all with the people they brought in from sort of Conan. You can already tell that they were lifting a lot, and a lot of what makes Conan great is the horror aspect of it, the Lovecraftian stuff, you know, all that good stuff. And I, we're going to get into Lovecraftian horror here soon. There's an episode of He-Man uh, and the Masters of the Universe that actually deals with a Lovecraftian creature, and we'll get to that here shortly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, <clears throat> I've been rambling here. You got any thoughts, <laughs> Rob? <laughs> yeah, actually, I do. Um, <clears throat> first of all, any... And I messed this up last week, listeners, so um, I will make sure that I include any pertinent links um, to what we talk about tonight in the notes section of the episode, and I will go back and re-edit the other episode's notes so that way last week's links are in there as well. Um, but I I was checking out um, and trying to, trying to figure out exactly um, where the horror elements come in for me. And so I was doing a little bit of research on myself online and I found out that um, Paul Gerard is an artist who Mm -hmm. worked on the Hellboy reboot Mm -hmm. and he released some concept art in a, uh, it's in a YouTube video that I will make sure that I link. I know the YouTube video you're talking about. Some of the, the illustrations of Skeletor and, and you know, his henchmen are, are mm-hmm. just so incredibly horrifying, no yep. pun in there, pun fully intended, that... Yeah, you better it, own that. 
it, it's crazy. It's absolutely <laughs> crazy. Yeah, actually, I know, I know, I know exactly the YouTube video you're talking about because I, I actually watched that same YouTube video last night. Um, really great stuff. Um, I, at the, if I remember correctly, one of the one of the um, images that's in that video almost shows Skelter almost like there's still some sinew and like flesh still kind of on the yes. skull. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, almost almost like he's decaying uh, still. Very very ghastly stuff. Um, yes. The, the trap jaw one is another one that's very ghastly because it, it takes a whole idea like there's a man who might have even torn his own jaw off uh, in order to put the, the steel jaw on himself, maybe. Uh, but, you know, he's got a mohawk of spikes like in bed, almost, you know, almost like, you know, some of the some of these guys who are into major piercings nowadays will will basically do that thing where they'll have um, they'll have basically holes drilled into the top of their head and, and where they can put in metal spikes Um which is kind of cool. I think it's kind of, I wouldn't do it myself, but it's kind of neat to see. Uh, but very much this, a similar idea, like trap in the course, you know, obviously the, the jaw aspect of it looks very, very gross. Uh, and then you've got like these metal spikes basically be sticking out of the top of his head, like a mohawk. Um, and, and of course, evil Lynn has the, um, has the look like, uh, like what's her name from uh, suicide squad. Um, Enchantress. Uh, yes. so she's got that dark kind of Gothic, you know, kind of witchy look going on. Really good video. Yeah, definitely check that out um, when you guys are done with this podcast because there's some good stuff in there. Really, really great. And what I what I do wonder and I look forward to is seeing what Kevin Smith oh, yeah. does with, with the reboot of the animated series that's coming out on Netflix and seeing how far he takes the horror element of Skeletor. Um it should be very interesting. I mean, it's what I, I don't think He-Man would fly for children today. Um, I don't know that it has what they're, they're looking for. Um, so it's going to be very, very, very interesting to see what Kevin Smith does with the property. The only thing that I know is that he did announce that he wants to continue the original series. Um, he wants to go more serialized with it, whereas like the original animated series was more like you know episodic. There was there was a little bit of serialization, but not very much. Because um, I know Kevin wants to take there's a there's a, there's one serialized story arc uh, in the original animated series from from the eighties that uh, they were trying to start, but never it never went anywhere. The the show got canceled. And from what I remember reading, Kevin wants to take that story arc, and he wants to uh, he he wants to make that basically the basis uh, for the new series. So, as far as I can tell, I don't I don't know how the animation style is going to be. I don't know if he's going to try to make it uh, like uh, the original or not. But his intention is that it's going to be a continuation of the original series. Sure, and I mean obviously the the animation techniques have have grown since filmation owned the property. Right. Um, But it it will, it'll still, I mean, it it will be very interesting to see, see how they do that. Obviously, you know, like, like we just said, the, there's going to be a lot of things that are, that are updated um, Mm -hmm. storyline wise. Again, you know, it's a continuation, but you know, it doesn't mean that doesn't mean that they can't um, jazz things up a little bit, so to speak. Well, I mean, it's Kevin Smith. So I, I, I would I would be very disappointed if he doesn't jazz it up. Uh, it just it's so it'll be uh, just you know how. Um, 
Because, I mean, there's a lot of... And I think this is a good time for the property, too, because the, the new She-Ra series on Netflix uh, is very, very popular. Uh, I haven't had a chance to watch it myself, uh, but I've heard really, really great things about it. Um, I know it's 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 very very popular, especially with uh, with 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 girls, uh, because of its uh, you know female empowerment themes and stuff. So it's definitely got a lot of great shit going on there. Um, this I know this new series and that series aren't going to be connected in any way, um, which is fine. Um, but we'll see. I mean, there's, I think we, I think there's room. I mean, like I said, the Mattel is putting out, you know, a brand new, uh, masters of the universe toy line. Still, it's been going on for over 10 years and they're still putting new figures out all the time. Uh, so there's definitely, uh, if not for the kids, there definitely will be an audience, uh, for it that are, uh, that are, you know, our age <laughs> in, in their late thirties, early forties. um, even and, and and I know the the, the the they they did had an attempt back in like I said the the early uh, I think it was like 2005 I think is when it came out um, yeah feel free to correct me guys <laughs> if, if I'm wrong I apologize uh, but they did a new Masters of the Universe um, animated series on Cartoon Network and I watched it actually I have I have the entire series on DVD it was amazing um, animation style was very very different. Um, the, the characters were a lot more, um, sinewy and like, like cut, like it wasn't like big bulky muscles. It was like, like, we're talking like these guys had no body fat whatsoever, you know? Um, but it was good. Like it, like it was, um, it was a great series. I think it only lasted like three seasons and it got canceled, which is unfortunate because the, the 2005 series actually was more serialized. It actually... And it had great storytelling, great writing, great characterizations. Every character had a, had a full-fledged backstory. Some uh, back, In fact, they used the original He-Man and the Masters of the Universe Bible that was created for the original animated series for the new series. And a lot of the stuff that never got put in the original series, they took it and took it to the hilt. Like Skeletor was originally Keldor, uh, who was King Randor's brother and He-Man's uncle. Or Prince Adam's uncle, my bad. Um, and so, and of course, the reason why his face looks the way it does is he basically tried to use this poison to basically disfigure and or kill King Randor. It backfired, came, went back into his face, and basically melted his flesh away, and then you had that visage. Um, which, again, the Skeletor, uh, the Skeletor design in the new series was very, very scary, uh, even more so than the original. Uh, I actually still have the figure of him somewhere. Um, and it even got even scarier because by the time they got to the third season, they had the Snake Men. Uh, they changed the name of the show to He-Man versus the Snake Men. And the Snake Men were extremely scary. Holy shit. Um, you know, because you had, like, because snakes are kind of scary on their own, but you had, like, you know, King Hiss and you had all these other creatures. Creatures that kind of popped up on occasion in the original series had a huge story arc. Uh, and it was just incredible stuff. Um, but uh, but I digress because I well I, I I wanted to touch upon the 2005 series anyway and I just did so I, it's <laughs> so well, let's let's take a look real quick all right at 
something that may be horrifying to some people. And what I refer to, even though, well, actually, no. Well, I'll refer to him, and I like both characters, and I will take a beating for this any day. (laughs) But let's refer to the Jar Jar Binks of the He-Man series, and that would be our little friend, Orko. Orko. Orko was actually one of the few, because every cartoon back then had that character. Thundercats had Snarf. Um, you know, Smurfs had Brainy Smurf. Like every every cartoon had that. Uh, oh, real Ghostbusters had Slimer. Every every cartoon property in the eighties had that like quirky, annoying character that was there for comedic relief, and you know was uh, either it either you know made the kids you know extremely happy, um, and then the older kids would be like, oh my god, this guy's so damn annoying. I will say though that Orko actually, uh, I actually liked Orko. Orko, I loved Orko. Or, or, Orko was probably the the lowest on the list of annoying characters. He was the least annoying out of all the characters uh, in any of those shows because Orko actually had a decent character arc too. I mean, he had he had relatives from his own planet that would show up every so often. Yeah, he would mess up his spells, but he would also come through right at the right time. And I just, I he was. He actually was cool. He, they had a whole episode centered around everybody forgetting his birthday, and I felt so ah, yes. I felt so bad for him because because they they actually gave him they made you because whereas like Snarf and, and 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 Slimer they were just there to just as a bit. Orko actually had character. He had character growth. Like they made you feel for him. Like they made you want to you know to 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 have. You know, to to like him, it was it was impressive. Yeah, I think that's why they introduced Jar Jar Binks' family too. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody could beat me up. I don't care. I like Jar Jar. You know, I just do. I do. I, I do. I do. I do. I, I won't beat you up for it. Because here's the thing: I can't stand Jar Jar. I hated Jar Jar from the moment he showed up in episode one. I hated the way they utilized him because. A lot of the dumb shit that happened in the prequels was because of his dumb stupidity, because uh, he was, you know, and, they, and it was manipulated. But I will say this: I will defend Jar Jar in and of the way, in in in, in and of the manner that Ahmed Best, who played him, got so much bullshit for for Jar Jar. He got so much hate mail. He got bullied. And he almost and, and I'm not to bring the tone down here for a second, but this is an important it's an important matter anyway. But Ahmed Best almost committed suicide over Jar Jar Binks because of all of the hatred that was being directed toward him for the character. Now, granted, I now on the plus side, good news he got out of it. Like he he sought help and he's he's doing really really good. I mean, he's got a great career going on right now. Um, he's doing really really well. He's going to conventions and stuff and. You know, it seems like a lot of that uh, negativity is, is has been removed from his life. Uh, people aren't doing that to him anymore. But I will say this: like, I don't like Jar Jar Binks, but I don't hate him enough to want to go after the guy who did his voice because that's just stupid. You know, that's just really exactly. really dumb. And so, like, it, but you know, but now he was brought in, in my opinion. You know, and I'm sure people will have differing ideas. He was brought in because it was a new wave of fans that were coming up. So you had kids that 
you know, may not have appreciated the films as much if he was not brought in. Mm. And I say that because I sat and watched Star Trek in the movie theater with my dad, and it was the most boring movie I had ever seen at that point. Now, I love it. As a kid, did not. And to me, my opinion is is, is that they brought someone, someone like Jar Jar in for the same reason that they brought Orko in. Because mm-hmm. you reach multiple audiences right. that way. Right. So smart move definitely generated a ton of discussion, you know, sure. both both with He-Man and with Star Wars. But it, something interesting Donnie has up his sleeve, or should I say under his hat, Donnie knows what Orko looks like. I do. Uh, again, going going to the to, to the the amazing tome that I purchased by Dark Horse Books, written by James Etock, um, He Man and She-Ra: The Complete Guide to the Classic Animated Adventures. They actually have, and apparently, this was this was actually supposed to make it into the show, but it never did. Uh, but there actually is a drawing of Orko and Matt. And here's the cool thing: it's in the book. Um, it is. Um, it's listed. It's it's listed with the episode "The Heart of a Giant," um, and the way they did this is really really cool. So uh, some of the pages in the book are basically like animation cell type pages, so they're clear, but they have like you know uh, anime animated or or just you know drawings on them. And the way they did this is the. Orko's normal visage, what you normally see with the with the scarf around you know around his mouth and the and the eyes you know protruding out from under the darkness of his hat, is drawn on the animated cell uh, on the clear animated cell sheet. Underneath is the rest of him with Sans hat, Sans scarf, uh, and his body, so that when you when you uh, turn the animated cell sheet over, you can see the rest of him. It's really, really clever the way they did it. Um, I'm going to tell you this. It's not... It's nothing spectacular. It's not like, oh my god, I can't believe it. It's just... He's got a blue face, yellow eyes. Uh, he's got elfish ears. Um, it's, it's nothing really spectacular. I mean, it's it's cool. It's really, really cool to finally see what he looks like. Because uh, I don't know if anybody remembers, but in, uh, in uh, his race... Um, you're only allowed to show your face to the person that you plan on being betrothed to, or, or, or the person that you fall in love with. You're not allowed to show your face to anybody else. That's 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 basically part of their whole uh, their whole culture. And Orko so, 101. Yeah, and so Orko only showed his face in one episode, but we didn't see it. But his girlfriend Trala saw it. Um, you actually see him from behind as he takes off the, the hat and everything and shows it to her to basically prove to her that he loves her, which is a really, really sweet moment. Again, no other character in the 80s, Slimer, fucking Snarf, nobody else got fucking story or character arcs like this. And that's one of the reasons why I think Orko is definitely one of the better, uh, um, you know, comedic, uh, comic, comic relief characters out there. Is because they still tried to treat him with care and respect and love, so that he, even though yeah, he was there to be goofy and and fail and and his oh my god is you know his magic trick ended up putting cake all over Duncan's face again. Um, 
he still had a little heart to him, and they gave him storylines and character arcs that made you love him as a character. Uh, the the whole thing with his family is a huge one. Like his family shows up from their from his home uh, dimension uh, at least five or five times throughout the series. Um, and so they, they, they definitely tried very hard to, to make Orko more than just a one note goofball. Um, but yes, uh, getting back to the, so yeah, Orko is unmasked in this book. If you guys want to pick it up, I, I don't even remember how much it costs. Uh, I don't know if it's still in print anymore. Uh, it's a hardcover. Um, oh, it was a hundred bucks. That's what it was. Wow. You might be able to find it. I, they might, it might still be in print on Amazon. Um, I can't imagine why it wouldn't be. Uh, but yeah, it goes for, it's, it's, it's a little pricey. It's a hardcover, uh, book. Um, but yeah, the, um, according to the, the Orko Unmasked page, it says beneath the block of text is the only image known to exist of Orko without the hat. He was, il- it was illustrated by storyboard artist Steve Hickner for the episode Dawn of the Dragoon. Filmation had originally planned to reveal Orko's face at the conclusion of the episode, but it was decided that a silhouette would be more striking and memorable. The accompanying color illustration by Dusan Mitrovic is a representation of how the character model would have looked based on Hickner's design. After 33 years, the mystery is about to be solved. Take a deep breath and prepare yourself. Granted, like I said, not that big, not that big of it. It's just like, it's like, oh, okay. You're not going to turn that page and go, oh my God, I can't believe. Like, it's not like, you know, whatever Beetlejuice would have looked like if you had seen all the stuff that came out of his face uh, in, the, in, in the scene in the model. It's just like, Oh, okay. He's got a blue elfish face with yellow eyes. All right, cool. That's cool. I, now I know. And knowing is half the battle. Wrong cartoon, but you know you get the point. There are a few episodes uh, throughout the series. Most of them are, are in because a uh, He-Man. The original He-Man uh, series was two seasons, like sixty-five episodes each. Uh, and She-Ra was the same, two seasons, sixty-five episodes each. Um, He-Man had. There, well, there's there's a few episodes throughout that basically had some horror elements to it. But I'm going to touch upon six. Five of them are in the first season. One of them is in the second season. Again, big thanks to He-Man.org for for their editorial that I read that basically kind of gave me a little bit of uh, direction to go for this. Uh, I did pick a couple other ones that I found myself um, that uh, also had some horror elements to it. Um, but uh, and I, I'm, I'm not going to go too much into detail with these, but I would just basically kind of give you what they kind of were about and what was in them. Um, so the first one is called Reign of the Monster, first season. And the one that's notable about this is this is one of the ones where there is a creature, um, in, in like an ancient creature of some sort, an ancient demon that um, is asleep and basically uh, they're trying, uh, Skeletor is trying to, to basically, you know, race him. Um, so he, he wants to free this evil monster God called Mulcrum uh, from this magical crystalline stone, which, you know, is very Gothic, very, you know, very much in line with like Conan and stuff like that. Um, the great thing about that episode is the design of the creature is very, very scary. And a lot of, in a lot of cases with He-Man, um, Whenever there was a monster that was present, they usually would give him some kind of flaw or some kind of of, of design, um, uh, uh, like structure that would make him at least a little bit goofy, so he wasn't too terrifying for kids. This guy, horns, freaking like yellow eyes, like this guy was 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 fucking crazy. Like he was he was very very dark and very very demonic, and uh, you know, and he's got fire around him and everything. Like there's just a lot of really cool shit that came out of that. Um, 
but definitely uh, very, very much, uh, very heavily uh, steeped in horror. Uh, again, because you know, one of the one of big horror tropes is you know basically trying to raise an ancient evil of some sort, and the fact that they even referred to him as an evil monster god. Uh, in fact, they even wanted to name the the episode "Reign of the Monster God," but they did like they were told, "Nope, can't put God in the title." But he was basically a god. They referred to him as such in the animated episode. Um, but yeah, really, like, Moldcrum, fucking amazing design. Very scary. They didn't do they didn't do a thing to make him look goofy in any way, shape, or form. They made him, a, 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 like, a formidable force. Um, next one, um, Daimar, Day, I don't know how to pronounce this. It's, I think it's Daymar the Demon. D-A-I-M-A-R. Daymar the Demon, also first season. Uh, same thing. Resurrecting a demon. Um, this was an interesting one because uh, this kind of demon kind of looked more kind of like uh, the demon in um, uh, Night on Bald Mountain in a way. Had the horns, you know, glowing yellow eyes, whatever. But this one is one where he basically transformed from a tiny little, like, like not scary looking thing to this big, giant, hulking demon, brown demon with, like, big, giant bat wings and everything. Um, and again, another one where they were just like, you know, hey, we want to raise this guy and watch him wreak havoc. Um, and, and I also want to say that a lot of the, uh, as a side note, uh, for a lot of these episodes, now the, the backgrounds for He-Man were some of the most beautiful backgrounds that have ever been done for an animated series, uh, especially in the 80s. A lot of really great, a lot, lot of great use of color, a lot of just, a lot of um, uh, disturbing, uh, you know, just... Because you have the red skies up in the background, and you have like a lot of just like interesting, like like very dark looking uh, backgrounds and stuff. And this one was no different. Like we're talking about like vines and caves, and you know just all sorts of these like things where you're like, oh, I, I don't think I'd venture in there. That looks scary. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's another one. Um, Song of Solis, um, another ancient horror that needs to be resurrected. Um, there was a lot of, there, there was actually quite a few of those, uh, in, in the, in the animated episodes. Um, uh, they, they went to that trough a number of times, actually. Um, so this is another one basically where they just, uh, and I'm, I'm just, I'm going to go through these ones a little bit quicker now because it's, it's really just the same stuff. Watch and repeat another ancient horror that was basically being revived. You know, basically they were trying to, and then they, you know, at the end they're like, oh, this one was called Yogg, I believe. Um. Uh, it basically, a creature called Yogg that sleeps in the caverns beneath the city. Whenever he awakes, a singer must lull him back to sleep. There's your, uh, um, um, oh shit, what is it? Um, uh, lost my thought of trains again. Um, uh, you know, your, your old school, um, uh, fuck. Uh, Brothers Grimm kind of stuff going on right there. Um, but another really great one. You still there, Rob? Did I put you to sleep? I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> hey, you know, listeners, let me let me understand. Uh, let, let me understand. <laughs> let me try that again. Hey, listeners. <laughs> hey, listeners, let me explain something. This is 100% Donnie's baby. And you know what? Whenever I have a guest on or we have a guest on that knows more about something or this is their love, this is their thing, um, that's who you're going to hear predominantly from. We, uh, Donnie and I both, we are the the vehicle um, 
but we're going to have many, many different drivers throughout the throughout the entire uh, podcast series. So uh, I have no problem listening to Donnie talk all night. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if anybody can hear. My voice is actually bothering me a little bit tonight. It's allergy season starting again. We're hitting, uh, this is false. We call it false fall yeah. up here in New Jersey. No, um, we have the same thing here in Virginia, so yeah. So yeah, we're we're hitting that, and my allergies have been bugging me. So I apologize for for my voice, um, but uh, yeah, I have I have no problem listening to Donnie go on about uh, about He Man. But but this worked I out will good be, then. I, I, what's that? This worked out good then. Yes, I I will be chiming in when we get to the movie. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> the movie because it does have a great connection that I love to talk about. <laughs> Um, so anywho, Donnie, back to you. <laughs> All right. So another first season episode, Wizard of Stone Mountain. This is a little bit different because this, this is one of the ones where it's not an ancient horror. It's a deal with the devil. So which is, well, and of course they couldn't say deal with the devil. So basically it was the spirit of evil. And so, ba- and this was, this was actually kind of sinister, um, which is I'm surprised that they got away with it because in this one, it's about a guy who basically falls in love with Tila, and but she does not return his affections, so he decides to make a deal with the spirit of evil to have her heart. That was me. <laughs> yeah, that was that, that was all of us. We were all like, "Hey, where's 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 that spirit of evil at, man? I'm, I'd like to." <laughs> if I if I could date if I could date Tila back in the day, hey, you know what? I would have made a deal with the devil. Oh yeah, Tila, my God. She's everything. She was just so she was strong. She was, which was again. That was another great thing about the uh, about you know um, filmation. Uh, Lou Scheimer, uh, you know, who basically was was one of the heads of filmation. You know, they really wanted to do a good job of bringing strong female characters as well. I mean, they 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 knocked it out of the park later on with Shira down the road. But even then, like Tila was no slouch. Like she was not. She was she was not a, a like purely a dance like yeah they had episodes where he man would rescue her and stuff but she took care of her own as well there were, you know she would rescue Adam uh, there were times where you know there were episodes where she was in a problem or, or, or stuck in a place I think there was one where she fell into the abyss and she you know basically had to take care of herself um, and there yeah she the red hair like oh god I, I digress everybody <laughs> so yeah deal with the devil. Uh, clearly, you know, it, um, didn't work out, you know, he, you know, the, uh, I think, I think the way it worked out, I think the power of love was what, was what, uh, defeated the demon or yeah, the spirit of evil at the end, I think was the, was, was the way it worked out, uh, which was a very common theme back then, kids, power of love saves everything. All right. So, um, and the next one, this one's a little bit different. Um, it's uh, also from the first season. It's called the sleepers awaken. Um, this one kind of goes more into like gothic horror territory, uh, with the, with the, with the themes and the, like the character designs, like the, 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 um, like their, uh, like the main character or the main villains in it, their attire, kind of very, um, dark shadows ish in the way they're dressed. Um, so in The Sleepers Awaken, basically you have, um, uh, these two characters, uh, Lord Tyrion and Lady Valtira who have, have been alive for 200 years. So you've kind of got like a vampire kind of thing going on. Been alive for 200 years because they've been draining the energy from all the trees in the forest. 
um, which was, uh, you know, again, you got that whole gothic kind of um, um, House of Shadows um, or Dark Shadows uh, kind of thing going on. Um, and, of course, the nice, the cool thing about it is is this is one of those ones where they actually kind of gave the characters uh, kind of a three-dimension. They weren't just like straight-up villains. They were actually very, very – they felt very, very bad at what they were doing, and they actually uh, renounced their lust for power and evil at the very end. Um, one of the nice things of note is uh, when they start to lose their youthfulness, they look very zombie-like, you know, like green skin, sunken eyes and cheekbones. Um, very, very uh, horror-like in, in 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 that regard. Like the, so you can definitely see the horror elements at play there. Um, and then we've got two-parter, House of Shakoti, Part One and Part Two. This one dealt with witches. Um, basically, you had this evil creature, uh, evil sorcerer called Mask, uh, M A S Q U E, uh, who was trying to revive. Um, basically trying to revive this witch. Um, again, uh, not not too steeped in horror, but it had enough of a horror bent to it, that, it, and it was actually one of the more popular, uh, for one, it was a two-parter episode, uh, but it was definitely uh, one of the uh, more popular episodes of the show's run, because uh, it dealt with like her spreading darkness across the land, and just a lot of really, really interesting stuff going on. Um, and then there's Ram Man. Um, <laughs> um, so, and then uh, going on to another uh, first, I think we're still in the first season. Yeah, first season still. Eternal Darkness. Title alone evokes like horror and evil and, and, and darkness and, and things of that nature. Um, the big thing of note for this episode is there's a chamber of darkness and there's a character named Dark Dream who is very much uh, kind of looking like the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Uh, very much he's just a shroud, like a dark gray charcoal shroud with nothing but darkness inside the shroud and two red eyes coming out of it. Um, and uh, basically, um, yeah, he had some very nefarious plans that... Uh, that he uh, that he wanted to evoke, um, wanted to shroud Eternia in darkness so he could walk the planet. Now you want to talk about horror elements? That's that's fucking cool shit right there, and that's that's something that you would you'll find uh, again later pop up in the real Ghostbusters with Sam Hain uh, when they did their Halloween episode, uh, Eternal Darkness, which is definitely something that a lot of uh, evil people uh, want. Um, uh, another good example of that is, um, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. Um, the whole point there was to grab the key so they could enshroud the entire universe back in the darkness because the demons were pissed when God made light. So, oops, sorry guys. Damn um, that light. <laughs> damn that light to hell. And then the last one that I want to touch upon real quick, um, before we go into other stuff. This one, this one is probably one of my favorites because this is the one that deals, I, I mentioned earlier, we're going to deal with Lovecraftian horror. This is the episode, second season, only episode of, of, of major note. Um, second season to save Skeletor, and this one's an interesting one because this is one of those this is one of those episodes where the villains and the heroes have to band together, team up. Which I always love those episodes because, as a kid, and I, even even to this day, I am a sucker for villain 
um, excuse me, for um, you know, re- redemption stories. Uh, Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi. Um, I've always had a soft spot for a villain that basically, uh, you know, basically uh, throws away his evil ways and decides, hey, I, I, I was wrong. I'll become a good guy. I don't know why. I just love redemption stories. So, of course, Skeletor never was fully redeemed, but there were times where he would put aside his differences and he would work together with He-Man. And in this case, they are doing it because there is an ancient Lovecraftian evil called Shigora. In fact, they even go with the fucking, like, spell. It's S-H um, apostrophe G-O-R-A. So they're even going with the Lovecraftian naming conventions. Shigora, a powerful other-dimensional being. Um, and it, it's a, it's an evil that Skeletor and Evil Lynn summoned at the very beginning. Uh, very, his tentacles, uh, you know, based on uh, some of the Lovecraftian tropes of, of the ancient ones. Um, but as it happens sometimes when you have an evil oaf like Skeletor says, I'm going to summon this evil dude. And then you find out that he's too evil, this evil creature. And so, and you find out that he's even more evil than you. And so now you're his butt monkey. Um, then you're like, well, shit, this didn't go the way I wanted to. So yeah, what happens is, Shigora shows up and is like, well, I'm going to, you're, you're going down just like everybody else is. And Skeletor's like, whoops, I didn't want that. Um, so basically he has to team up with, uh, with the heroes to basically put Shigora back. And, uh, that's pretty much it. But like, those are the, like, there's, there's a few others here and there that definitely, I mean, every episode kind of flirted with that element a little bit. Uh, but those are the ones of major note. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to mention too: there is a there is a scene in the episode where the sorceress gets turned into an evil harpy, uh, and it's really like she is evil looking. Like, oh my god! Like it's uh, the imagery is just fantastic. But um, yeah, that pretty much sums up everything that I wanted to touch upon as far as the animated series is concerned. Uh, and and so I mean, as you can see, guys, by now uh, clearly. Um, We've given you a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, material to, to 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 show you know just how much uh, horror there actually is in He-Man, and that's even, even though you know it was a kids' cartoon and the toy line was for kids and everything. Um, especially during the eighties, there there were some things you could get away with more than than you can now. Uh, other things you couldn't; it's the other way around. But that was one thing. There there were sometimes um, Dungeons and Dragons is another animated series that got away with a lot of more horror elements to it um that you wouldn't be able to get away with today um but some pretty impressive stuff for for the most part and uh so i'm I'm really i hope you guys enjoyed that journey uh we're gonna kind of switch gears a little bit now uh i know rob's been chomping at the bit here i know he wants to talk about masters of the universe the movie with dolph lundgren ivan drago (laughs) ivan drago i must break him um and that's not the only Rocky connection, right, Donnie? That is not the only Rocky connection. Um, so I mentioned earlier that uh, the Masters of the Universe movie, I think it came out in 1987, um, was scored by Bill Conti, who is also uh, the uh, composer who scored uh, most of the Rocky films. Um, I, th- I think Rocky Four is the one he didn't score because that's when they switched it over to a more... Um, uh, rock uh, synthesizer uh, score at that point. They actually used the guy from uh, the guy who, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but they actually used the guy who scored Transformers the movie 
to do the score for Rocky Four. So it's funny because like the one Rocky movie that Dolph Lundgren is in is not the Rocky movie that Bill Conti scored. Um, now they do use uh, the Rocky theme from Bill Conti's score, but he didn't actually score that movie. But anyway, long story short, too late. Um, the, the the score for Masters of the Universe is done by Bill Conti, and it is an amazing score. It is it is it is beautifully done. Got a lot of really great themes, a lot of triumphant uh, you know trumpets and 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 stuff to it. A lot, lot, lot of fun fanfare. The evil theme for Skeletor is really well done. I listen to it quite often, actually, when I'm doing, when I'm doing work and stuff. Um, that's one thing I'll do is, is if I have if I have work to do, especially even at my real job, uh, my day job, uh, or even if I'm doing work here at home, if I'm working on something like research or whatever, I'll put on uh, a music score from a film. Uh, John Williams is one of my favorites. Um, or I'll, I'll do um, uh, Lady Hawk is another great score. Um, Alan Silvestri is another great composer I'll listen to. Uh, but the soundtrack, the score to Masters of the Universe is one I actually listen to quite frequently. It's really, really good. Uh, so yeah, there, there's your other Rocky connection other than Dolph Lundgren. Um, but yeah, we wanted to get into this. There, there, there isn't much of a horror connection to the Masters of the Universe film other than, you know, the abject horror that children had back in 87 when they saw it for the first time and realized that it really didn't have much to do with the animated series or He-Man in general. It it took the bare minimum and just kind of trashed it. <laughs> you are absolutely correct. And and to touch on soundtracks, um, Rocky Four with Ivan Drago, Dolph Lundgren, is one of the best soundtracks ever. Just oh, ever, it is. ever, 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 ever. And I think oh, yeah, we yeah. talked about that before. Uh, it's just absolutely effing incredible. Oh yeah, yeah. In, in 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 no way was I putting that down. Like it, like like I said, it's the it's the same guy who did the score for the Transformers the movie, uh, animated movie that came out in '86. Uh, so it has a lot of it has a lot of similar themes, a lot of synthesizer, really really great soundtrack. Uh, I, I definitely I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but it's also very good. So yeah, I know absolutely, um, fantastic work. So as a child, this movie disappointed me. Um, as an adult. It's become more of a pop culture mm-hmm. hit to me. Um, I've enjoyed it more. I actually went back and, and watched a, a decent deal of it um, last uh, in the past couple days. And I was astonished to remember, because I have not watched the movie in years, that not only did Courtney Cox who ended up playing Monica Geller in Friends, appear in it, star in it, but none other than Mrs. Geller herself, Christina Pickles. Is that her? Is that yeah. her real last name? So, it is. Hold on. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a crass joke here, but you got Cox and Pickles. <laughs> very, very phallic. Uh, there's very phallic things happening at the Circle K right now. That's just crazy. Crazy. <laughs> absolutely crazy. That's very but, true. I hadn't th- thought about that either. Thanks. So when I went back and watched the movie, um, I had realized, I was like, oh, yeah, Courtney Cox was in this movie. Um, but I had no idea that Christina Pickles was even – I just had no idea that she was in this movie at all. Um, she played the sorceress. um and her performance in the movie, based on what I've seen from her in the future in Friends, is just, it's completely, obviously, night and day. Um, 
it's it's actually a very 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 good performance um and you know the star cred that this movie had you know with Dolph Lundgren Frank Langella um James Tolkien Principal Strickland from Back to the Future slackers you're a slacker that's all you'll ever be a slacker now if he had said that to him he probably would have gotten punched in the face oh wait (laughs) actually no that is one thing that never really happened in the animated series he-Man was never, he was violent without being violent. He would throw people into pits and, you know, yep. blast them off in outer space, but he very, very rarely actually punched someone, which is weird because the whole, um, that, that logo with Masters of the Universe is He-Man punching the screen and it yep. says Masters of the Universe. Yeah, that, um, that's the, the interesting thing about that. In fact, I was just reading that the uh, earlier today when I was doing more research is that He-Man um, barely punched anything uh, he did more wrestling moves on his on his uh, on his opponents than anything else. Um, he was a grappler. And, yeah, basically so. Yeah, he he would he would throw, he would toss, he would wrestle to the ground. Um, yeah, he was more of a wrestler than he was a a, a a bear, you know, brawler. So that's a good point. And let's not also forget that Meg Foster was in this movie too. <laughs> you know what though. I that's actually one of the few things that I loved about the movie as a kid because I I'm with you I 1987 I'm I'm into He Man I love He Man I even loved the Christmas special even though the Christmas special is awful um, I remember when they did the music video on MTV for the theme song to Secret of the Sword when they first introduced Shira um, you know where basically they it was the theme song to Shira but it had lyrics um, and it was a full like three minute song. Um, and so the, you know, they were like, Oh, live action movie. I'm like, Holy shit. This is amazing. This is great. Watched it. was like, this is horse shit. Like the barely where's Orko. Where's fucking battle cat. Why is this? Why is this movie taking place on earth for like 75% of the goddamn movie? Who the fuck are these people? Why are they running around? Why is the girl from that Bruce Springsteen video in this, in this movie? What is she now, doing? Cause if, if I remember out. correctly, what was this? Shit, what, this was post Family Ties, or was it pre Family right. Ties? Wait, wait, no, wait, it no. was no. It, you're right. It was post Family Ties. I she totally already, forgot about. She had no, already been right. on. She had already been on Family Ties then. Yes, she. Uh, you're right. You're absolutely right. I totally forgot about Family Ties. Good call. You're absolutely right. She had already been on Family Ties, but I do believe this was her first film role. Second, it was her second. It was her second film yes. role. What was her first one? A movie called Down Twisted in 1987. Oh, I never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I never did either. A naive, good-hearted Los Angeles waitress does not think twice about helping her troubled roommate. Her help lands her in Central America, fleeing for her life with a grungy mercenary. <laughs> yeah. Wow, what a synopsis. Woo. Yeah, that's that's just, oh boy. Yeah, boy. So, Family Ties, she was on from 87 to 89. Yep. So this would be Masters of the Universe would be right around the same time, eighty-seven, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and what what's funny is getting back to getting back to Meg Foster. Um, oh yeah, she yeah, had, yeah, she has a great <laughs> horror connection, a great yeah, one because she was in They Live. Yep. Which brings us to John Carpenter and brings us to Halloween and the fog. <laughs> we're doing six of degrees of Kevin Bacon, but we're doing six degrees of horror. Exactly. Um, but it, oh, back to my original point, though. That was 
like I said, as a kid, I hated the movie. I, it was a horrible adaptation of He-Man. I was so disappointed. But I will say this. Meg Foster, because I've, I've seen Meg, I've seen Meg Foster in so many other things at that point. Like, they live. I've, saw, I've seen her in, in a couple other uh, movies and TV shows at that point. Um, she was also in the 1980 or 81 version of uh, um, uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, where she played Katrina, and Jeff Goldblum was Ichabod Crane, which is a really, really great... It was a made-for-TV movie, and it was really, really good. Dick Butkus was Brom Bones. Really, really great. They they really downplay the supernatural elements of it, uh, which is too bad, but it's actually really, really good. But I uh, yes, I actually I actually remember that, and that was very very good. Um, but Meg Foster was the one thing that I thought that they well, Meg Foster and Frank Langella as Skeletor were the two things that I thought they got right uh, in the movie. I thought because Meg Foster has those creepy light uh, blue eyes that almost look like they're glowing, like they're piercing you into the soul, um, which is why she got to play a lot of creepy uh, 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 characters uh, in her career as well. Um, but I loved her for Evil Lynn. Uh, Frank Langella, I loved him as Skeletor. And that's the thing about Frank Langella is Frank Langella considers it to be his favorite role. Uh, it was something he did for his kids because his kids wanted him to do it. Uh, but he loved playing Skeletor. He loved chewing the scenery. He intentionally brought a Shakespearean presence to the role of Skeletor. Um, the one thing he was disappointed about was he actually uh, – lifted weights and worked out to get a muscular build so that he could go toe to toe with Dolph Lundgren. Uh, Cause he really thought that they were going to do his uh, wardrobe up very similar to the way he did in the animated series. Unfortunately, he wears like a sparkly fabric or something or robes for most of the film. And so he was very disappointed that he didn't get to show off his physique like he wanted to, but the makeup for it was really, really good. And his performance is amazing. You can tell he's enjoying the shit out of that performance, but, um, I remember, I remember being disappointed, being very disappointed as a kid. But like you, Rob, I, I've, I've since as an adult, I've grown to love the movie on its own merits because it's a horrible human adaptation. But um, as a, as a sci-fi fantasy flick in its own right, it's actually a lot of fun. It really, really is. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Especially when you add the score into it. Um, you know, James Tolkien is funny and great. Like the banter. I still hate the fact that most of it takes place on Earth uh, because it really takes you out. But then here, here's, here's the thing about that, though. The reason why it takes place on Earth mostly is because of the budget. This is this was Go, um, uh, Golan, uh, Golan Globus, you know, the guys that basically uh, did all the canon films back in the 80s, you know, the low budget. They were putting out like 30 films a year. Uh, these guys basically uh, overstepped their budget. They were trying to put out a Superman movie around the same time. Uh, they also were trying to do a Spider-Man movie at that time that they wanted to get off the ground. They had the license to it at the time. And the problem with it is, uh, um, uh, I can't remember the, his first name, uh, but basically uh, one, of the, one of the heads of Gol- Golan Globus, I think it was Golan, uh, I believe, um, Yaman, I think is his name or something like that. Um, he would write checks that he, he was basically like making all of his movies on credit. So he would tell them, oh, we got this budget for this movie, and he wouldn't really have the money there. He would have to basically go to another production, take the money from them, put it into that production, and so on and so forth. He was, he was very shady in the way he did that. In fact, there's a really great documentary. I think it's still on 
uh, I think it's still on Netflix, about uh, Golan Globus and Canon uh, films and how that whole thing went to shit. Uh, and He-Man, or Masters of the Universe, was one of the last movies that they put out before they went under. They didn't. They lost their rights to the Spider-Man movie. Uh, so, and, of course, Superman 4 did horribly. Uh, no but, shit. Yeah, it was really, really bad. <laughs> um, but one of the things about Masters of the Universe is they ran out of money by the end of the shoot, uh, like badly, to the point where that final battle where He-Man and Skeletor are fighting in the dark, the reason why they did this is because they had no more sets. The t- sets had already been torn down. Because they, they, they had to stop shooting because they ran out of money. Uh, and it wasn't only it wasn't until much later that they were given just the bare minimum to finish the film. So they had to come back like a month later. Everything was pretty much already gone except for like the, the, the costumes and everything. So they shot it in the dark. And that, that was it. Uh, despite that, I think despite the, the shortcomings, despite the flaws, which there are many, there are, uh, and, and, and for, for good reason, uh, I think Master of the Universe is a really fun sci-fi fantasy romp. Uh, spends too much time on Earth, but uh, I think it, 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 it makes it makes the best of what it has, and I think what it does have is really, really good. Christina Pickles, you know what's funny about that is I knew that Christina Pickles was in the movie. I knew she played Sorceress. I had no idea. I did not realize that she was the same actress who played Monica's mother and friends. Yes. Until you said, until you mentioned that uh, earlier, I was like, "Holy shit!" Um, another another actor that most people might not recognize is um, we have a pre Star Trek Voyager, Robert Duncan McNeil. It just came to me. Um, but yes, Robert Duncan McNeil, uh, way before his, his his turn as Lieutenant Paris in Voyager, uh, plays her boyfriend. Um, and I always loved the when they put the thing when they put the the um the collar around him that makes him tell the truth yeah. and there's this, this, this there's this weird there's this weird uh um reverb that they put in his voice it's, it's that, that I always thought was kind of neat when I was a kid um but yeah it's I, I I'm in agreement with Rob and in fact I actually own Masters of the Universe on Blu-ray and I it actually I actually put it in the into normal rotation I will watch it at least one or two times a year. Uh, almost for the score alone, just to watch, listen to the score with the with the visuals. Um, so yeah, it's it's I definitely I think it 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 deserves more love than it gets. It's definitely underrated. It's not a great perfect film, but it's it's definitely a lot of fun. Well, and and that that leads me to my my two final points. Um, number one, and there's not a lot of information about this right now because it was just. Um, the actor that is going to be playing He-Man in the Masters of the Universe film that's being redone um, is named Noah Centineo. Um, he, he made an appearance on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and announced that, um, that he was going to be playing He-Man. Production started in July 2019, at least that's what was scheduled, and it's set for a 2020 release. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they do there. Um, but as always, I'm going to go and, and leave you with my closing thought on a mashup. And that is that Funko, Funko ripped off completely, and not in a bad way, but they ripped off completely the He-Man sculpted figure. And what they did with them was they made Leatherface, Pinhead, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, and Michael Myers. And... I would love, love, love to see a movie where Skeletor goes to Earth, 
just like he did in Masters of the Universe, and picks up these serial killers, brings them back to become his new evil henchmen. And if you look at the picture of the Funko style horror action figures, you can see that this is not a stretch. These guys could definitely come up to space, come over to Eternia, and kick some ass. I bet you every single one of them could take He-Man in a second. In a second. It's it's really weird because um, I, I, I've known about these figures for a long time because uh, uh, Funko is a part of Super 7, which also has the Masters of the Universe license. Um, uh, so they're making a lot of, like, they're making the, 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 the new sculpted figures that are completely articulated and shit that I collect. Um, but, yeah, they it's weird. They started off, it, it's, it's called the Savage World Series. And they started off, they first the first figures that they did in that in that mold, uh, yeah, they basically took the original molds from the He-Man uh, uh, line and decided to start adapting other licenses. The first license that they did was Mortal Kombat, which kind of makes sense. Um, those came out, I think, like last year, like like early last year first. And all these you could get at Target, you could get them uh, at um, at uh, like um, oh uh, like Hot Topic and stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, the second line that they decided to do was Thunder. No, actually, no. The second line they decided to do was the horror icons. Where, yeah, basically they're all muscle bound. They're all like their their clothes are all torn up, um, so that they look like they they, they came from like an ancient like uh, civilization or, or or like from from like a He-Man universe or whatever. And then the next line that they did is um, they did Thundercats. Uh, which the Thundercats pretty much look exactly like they would if they were done in the He-Man molds. Like they, they look, and they actually, I have, I actually have them. They look really good. They, they fit perfectly with my He-Man, my original He-Man figures. And now I think they're doing like, they're doing like Street Fighter and they just did, uh, they just did DC characters. So now you've got like Batman and like Green Lantern and like Lex Luthor all looking like they come from Caveman times. It's really, really strange. In fact, they even, again, at Target, they even did a um, uh, they did a Batcave uh, playset, which is very much in the same vein as the Castle Grayskull playset that you could use, that you could buy for like fifty bucks for Batman. It's really really it has a trap door, it has a ladder, it basically has all that shit. Um, interesting stuff, but yeah, the the that's a, that's another good good point. I I had almost forgotten to bring that up, but I'm glad you brought it up for me, Rob. Is uh, yeah, this the horror icons that we all know and love redone in the same style as the original He-Man figures from the 80s to display and put on display with your He-Man figures. You can have Freddy Krueger going after Battle Cat. You can have Man-at-Arms going toe-to-toe with Leatherface. Like, some weird shit, man. Like we, we live in interesting times. We really yes. do. Yes, we do. <laughs> well, our faithful listeners, we have come to the end of the journey for the evening. I hope you enjoyed taking this trip to Eternia and back with Donnie, much more than me tonight, and I. <laughs> the episodes coming up for the next couple weeks um, are going to be, obviously, The History of Horror Part 1 will be out, I'm hoping, next week. Um, stay tuned to our Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash The R&D Project. And you can find out more information about that there. We will also be covering the mashup of Broadway and horror, covering topics like Carrie, Sweeney Todd, um, American Psycho. And we will also have a special guest who is actually performing in Sweeney Todd with us in uh, behind the mic. 
We will also be spending a lot of October talking about the seminal classic Halloween by John Carpenter. We will be going over every single movie in the series and giving our thoughts on each one of them. So that's another episode that's coming up. So stay tuned to that. And we will also be taking a look at music and horror. And we will have a special guest on there who has been a musical director for local and regional theater for many, many years. And has fact, in fact, written um, some things himself. So that will all be coming up in the month of October into November. Next week, we will have a brief hiatus. We will be releasing History of Horror Part 1 in its entirety. We will also be doing a live stream on Saturday, September 14th, live from Camp Blood and Pennywise Lives, a Dark Hills gaming event. That is something you do not want to miss. Um, Friday the 13th, Donnie will be here in my quote-unquote studio with me. Um, We will... Find some time to get on and discuss what is going on. So, again, thank you all for joining us. Thank you for listening to our ramblings on about He-Man tonight. I hope you enjoyed every single part of the episode. I know we love doing this for you guys. Yeah, it was it was really good. I, um, I'm actually impressed that we managed to get as much material as we did out of it. I was really nervous we'd only get like, three, like 30 minutes or 45 minutes out of the material. But uh, I had fun looking at this through the lens of horror. I hope you guys did, too. Um, I hope I hope it brought a new uh, it, it, it brought a, a, a fresh perspective to to the to the property and maybe it'll make you guys want to check out the episodes or or maybe even you know uh, you know look up the the book that I that I mentioned again um, the name of the the book is called Heman and Shira a complete guide to the classic animated adventures by Dark Horse uh, written by James Etot. Um I I think it's still in print I'm, I'm not sure but it's uh, it's about a hundred bucks. Uh, so it's definitely pricey, but if uh, if you can afford it, I definitely recommend it. It's very thorough. Um, but yeah, that's uh, another great night, and I appreciate you guys listening. And uh, final words, Rob. As always, look in the notes below the podcast for links to everything we discussed tonight. I promise they will be there this time. And then go back, re- re-listen to last week's episode, and look in the description below for links to everything we discuss there. I'd like to thank you again from the bottom of my heart for joining us tonight. Thank you, Donnie. Um, thank you, Rob. <laughs> guys, we're available on so many different podcast platforms, um, including Apple Music and Spotify. So make sure you subscribe if you like us. Give us a like. Give us a review. Drop by our Facebook page and let us know what you think. Tell us what you want to hear. Um Again, I'll say it again and again and again. We are very, very user-friendly. We're very interactive. We love our fans. We love our friends that listen. And um, we want you to keep on listening. So let us know what you want, want to hear. And you guys have a great night. We will see you next week. For now, we are out. Take care, everybody.